0: Acts 9, 32 to 10, 23. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed and immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who, t- who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision, uh, I'm the one you're looking for, what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So ends the reading of God's word.
1: Well, let's pick up at Acts chapter 10. Reading from the middle of verse 23, just to carry on Luke's narrative. Acts chapter 10, from the middle of verse 23. The next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, "'Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, "'Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms have been remembered before God. "'Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. "'He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. "'So I sent for you at once.' And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem." They put him to death by hanging him in a tree, but God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Amen.
2: Let me add my welcome and say what a fantastic passage to be looking at on the week that Mark is here and giving us some news from uh, East Asia, because if it wasn't for Acts chapter 10, there would be nothing to report from East Asia. There wouldn't be a church to report from, and there wouldn't be a church here to report to. It's a striking thing to think about, isn't it? This is the moment. I mean, it's clear all the way through the Bible that God is a global God. He plans to save people from all nations. But it's only when you get to Acts chapter 10 that actually the doors are flung open, wide open to people from all tribes, tongues, every race and culture and people group, Scotland, Singapore, what a great passage where Mark's here. And if you are here as someone looking into the Christian faith, I hope you will see from this passage just how welcome you are. Not just by us, but by the living God. Whatever your background or current lifestyle is, you're welcome. Let me do this in prayer before we get to this marvellous passage. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that by your Spirit you would speak to us through your word, just as you've promised. And we pray that your speaking voice would change us to see more of what you're like, more of what we're like, and help us to grow like the Lord Jesus more and more. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to begin our time thinking about this passage in Acts 10 by asking this question, question to the Christians. Are we prejudiced? Do we discriminate? By which I mean, do we treat people differently based on where they come from, or what they look like, or sound like, or live like? Does someone's race, or religion, or sexual orientation, or class, or wealth, or gender, or education, or lack of it, or cultural background, or current cultural choices, lead us to to think about them differently, speak to them differently, treat them differently? That's the question. And I guess many of us who are Christians here would have a kind of knee-jerk, of course not, of course not. we're not racist or sexist or ageist or elitist, we're not bigots. As Christians, we actually know that that God made every person in his image. He wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves, equal dignity. Of course not. Of course, we'd love to welcome people from all backgrounds here with us at church. And I think in lots of ways, that's, that's completely true. But just before we're too quick to say, well, that question doesn't apply to us, I wonder if sometimes this is an area we have blind spots. We don't want to be prejudiced. We, we wouldn't knowingly or deliberately discriminate. But I wonder if part of the difficult thing about prejudice is it can be quite invisible to the one who's doing it. This would be a great question to talk about over coffee or in our small groups. I hope we do get time to talk this through And as we think about whether we're prejudiced, I want us to consider particularly, are we prejudiced in who we offer the gospel to, who we think about sharing Jesus with? Because obviously that's the issue going on in Acts. Who do we pray for? Who do we witness to? Is it only certain types of people in our friendship groups, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our networks? Do we kind of pre-select a shortlist of the likely ones? And obviously, it's people like me on the likely list. Or do we, do we offer and, and pray for the gospel to go widely, indiscriminately, across those we have contact with? It's a question I've been asking myself over the last few weeks. At the moment, I've got two main places where I get to meet people outside of church. There's the nursery drop-off, and there's the badminton club. And actually, it's been sobering for me to, to kind of watch myself and I do see myself making judgments about how likely or unlikely various people I come across are to be kind of interested in hearing about Jesus. And it's often just snippets of conversation. I I just pick something up about their quite different worldview or quite different background or lifestyle to me and quickly I'm assuming, oh, they won't want to hear anything from the Bible. (laughs) So one guy, um, he's white, he's tough, he's a Scottish builder, uh, he swears like a freight train on the badminton court. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh, he won't want to hear about Jesus. Another is an organist at a church, which I think is very different probably from this kind of one, a church maybe that doesn't particularly look at the Bible. And so I think to myself, oh, he probably won't want to hear. Another's from a country that's dominated by Islam. And I think, well, there's not much chance there. All of that is prejudice what about us what about you I've been asking church folk this week uh, as I've met people kind of uh, what what's it like for you um, do you see any signs of prejudice and actually repeatedly what I'm hearing is, is is we're not prejudiced in whom we want to see saved we'd love for people from all sorts of backgrounds to, to come in here to become a Christian but maybe when it comes to having confidence, there's a bit of prejudice. With some of the people I know from certain backgrounds or lifestyles, well, basically there's no chance. And that does lead us to acting slightly differently around them, not praying for the opportunities with them, not particularly speaking about Jesus openly around them. I don't know who it would be for you. In some of the conversations this week, it's, some people have mentioned um Colleagues who are really successful in life, oh, they won't be interested. Sometimes people from other religions or from sects, so people have mentioned um, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they know. Some who have been put off from Christianity, from something in their past, maybe a, a kind of a difficult experience of a Roman Catholic school or a messy church in the past. Oh, they'll never want to open a Bible now. Perhaps most sensitive of all, those whose lifestyles do seem a long way from biblical Christianity. So it might be those who kind of define their core identity in terms of LGBTQ sexualities. And there's an anxiety or a fear we can have. We don't want to cause offence. We don't want to hurt people. And so we actually treat them differently. Or maybe it's just those around us who work hard to play hard. The the hard-drinking party lifestyle, the sleeping around, the taking drugs. Well, they're way off. there's more than one kind of discrimination and I wonder if one that, that bites for us is whether we have any confidence that God might save people from those kinds of backgrounds. If you want the point of today's passage just have a look at chapter 10 verse 34 it's on page 919 chapter 10 verse 34 where Peter opens his mouth verse 34 and says Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. In other words, God is not racist or any other of the ists you can imagine, sexist, elitist. God is interested in offering the gospel to all people. He's powerful to save all sorts of people. And so I think it is a challenge for us to think, do we share that kind of confidence? See, this is a passage uh, that says, the good news of Jesus can make anyone clean enough for God. That will come up on the screen. The good news of Jesus can make anyone clean enough for God. And if you want proof of that, the key proof comes in verse 44 to 48. Right at the end of the passage, you get the kind of climactic moment. It's an amazing moment, it's when the Holy Spirit is poured out for the first time on some Gentiles, some non-Jews, a Roman centurion and his friends and family. And it is an amazing, astonishing moment. As I read, just look at the reaction this event gets, First, 44. While Peter was still talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? these total outsiders, these people who are way off from God's people. A Roman centurion receives the Spirit just as they had back in Jerusalem. To grasp the significance, we need to remember where we've been in Acts, so I'll just stick a picture up for that. Um, We've seen this a few times now, that that the risen Lord Jesus uh, is reigning. He's dead, risen, raised, um, ascended. He's reigning, and he's spreading his message out from Jerusalem. We've seen that a few times. But one of the striking things in this book is that every time the message breaks through one of those barriers, Jerusalem first, then Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the earth, every time Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit visibly. So there are Jewish believers, there are Samaritan believers, and then now we've got Gentile believers and each time Jesus pours out his spirit. So, Pentecost, chapter 2, Jesus pours out his spirit. Chapter 8, the Samaritans. Uh, Peter was at Pentecost. This event has to wait till Peter gets to Samaria in chapter 8. And once he does, the Holy Spirit's poured out. And then here, chapter 10, with Peter again, Pentecost repeated. Absolute outsiders given the same Holy Spirit, the same sign that they are welcomed, included accepted by the living God. again the gospel is broken into new ground that's the big point now i think if you've been here all term you might be thinking well yeah obviously like ever since chapter 1 verse 8 we've we've known that the the plan is the gospel should go to, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth yeah obviously this isn't a surprise But actually, when you look in the passage, everyone is surprised by this. Most of all, Peter is surprised by this. I guess he thought maybe the gospel will go to Jewish people to the ends of the earth, those who've been scattered around different countries. And so God had to make it very, very clear, blatantly obvious in this passage, that he wants non Jewish people included, fully included. He makes it so obvious that, that next week we're going to have a recap in chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. The whole story again It's a kind of supernatural sledgehammer to get this point into the heads of the early church. And I, I wonder if, as we, in a moment, look at how obvious God makes it, I wonder if that should just take a stop, make a stop and just take a moment to think, do you know, maybe prejudice is actually quite deep down easy to miss, hard to change. So maybe God needs to make it really obvious to us just how widespread, how indiscriminate, how non-partial his love and gospel offer really is. So that's the the big point. Now let's um, dive into some of the details. Um, We're going to spend the kind of first bit of our time here, just going through the story, so hang on in there, and then we'll, uh, in the back part of our time, talk through the implications for us. We need to get our heads around the story in detail before we get to the implications for us. So, um, let's see just how much it takes just, just to get Peter to speak the gospel to these Gentiles. In fact, even before that, how much it takes to get Peter into the same living room as these Gentiles. Let's just have a look. Chapter 9, that's where the reading started. I wonder if you were puzzled why we got the record of two amazing miracles at the start of this section. Well, it's a reminder of who Peter is. We haven't seen him for a while. And these miracles at the start remind us that he is Jesus Christ's representative on earth. Jesus is working through him. Just look at verse 34, when this paralyzed man gets healed. And Mark read it really well, didn't he? Uh, verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Really? Isn't Peter doing the business? No, he is Jesus Christ's representative. Jesus Christ heals him. Um, So two extraordinary miracles to remind us that Peter um, is Jesus's man, his chosen representative. All All of Jesus's authority is working through him. But then, In chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we get another guy, Cornelius. This is the other key character. What do we know about him? He's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion in the Roman army. um, And he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Striking, he's he's a a moral guy. He's generous, God-fearing, prayerful. But he's not a Jewish proselyte. That is, he's not got circumcised. He's not joined himself to God's people. Or In other words, he's still an outsider. He's an unclean spiritually, an unclean Gentile. Those are our two key characters. And that's we got to verse two. All of verses three to thirty-three are trying to get Peter into his living room to speak the gospel. We'll get four visions. We'll get supernatural timings. We'll get a direct word from the Holy Spirit. That's what it took to get Peter towards this man. Why does it take so much? Well, because there was a huge wall of prejudice. There was a divide. It was partly based on God's Old Testament law, the food laws in the Old Testament that maintained the purity of God's people. But it was also based on accumulated human prejudice. Have a look at verse 28 with me on page 919, verse 28. Look at how Peter puts it. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Now let me say, if you do get invited to dinner, that's not the best way to start. in so of a small talk. I mean, he's kind of saying, look, I wouldn't normally be seen dead with you. I wouldn't normally be in here. That's actually a bit of an exaggeration from the law. There's some accumulated prejudice on top of the food laws. But there was this kind of great big stop sign, a huge barrier culturally to get Jews um, speaking with Gentiles. But Peter is there by verse 28. So what happened? How did God get him there? Well, let's trace through what happens through chapter 10. First off, Cornelius gets a vision. This is verse 3, and it's not a small or ambiguous vision. The angel of of the Lord comes to him, names him, and tells him to go and fetch Peter. I mean, the angel could have declared the gospel, but instead he wants Peter to come. Peter needs to be there. That's the first vision. That's 3 p.m. in Caesarea. And so these three men get sent off to fetch. Then we switch to noon. The next day, Peter's praying. Uh, He gets not one, but a kind of triple vision. This triple vision of the, the big sheep being lowered down with unclean animals on it animals that the Old Testament law forbade Peter from eating, and yet God commands him to get up, rise, kill and eat. Just look at verse 14. Peter's absolutely shocked by the idea. Peter said, by no means, Lord. That's a bit of a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Lord, you're in charge, but by no means, I'm not doing that. Similar to Ananias, actually, when he was told to go and pray for Saul. Really, Lord? Him? Now, at this point, Peter's a bit confused about the vision. He hasn't clocked that it's actually about people rather than animals. But God makes the message really clear. Verse 15, just look at it, verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. See, those food laws in the Old Testament weren't absolutes. The wall between Jews and Gentiles wasn't absolute. The message of Jesus will overcome that huge cultural barrier and every cultural barrier since, every smaller barrier since. God can make the unclean clean. And just as he's puzzling at this, lo and behold, with brilliant timing, there's a knock at the door and three guys are there asking him to come with them. Even then, Peter still needs some more supernatural steering. Verse 19, have a look. Verse 19, as Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. And finally, Peter obeys. I mean, there's a lot going on in that diagram, but just the point is there is a lot going on. God is pulling out all the stops. Multiple visions, supernatural timings, a direct command, like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, but even more so. It's unmissable, it's so obvious, it's so clear that this meeting is divinely arranged. God wants his key apostle to speak to a Gentile. And so we hit our key verse, verse 34. Eventually, once he's in the room, Eventually, when he hears Cornelius' vision, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. And so Peter goes on to preach the same gospel. It's the same gospel that we've heard all through Acts, but now preached to outright Gentiles, to a Roman centurion, his friends and relatives. It really is the same message. Um, just have a look at verse 36. This is the word he sent to Israel, proclaiming good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. It is the message that Jesus is Lord. But not just that Jesus is Lord, but that Jesus offers forgiveness. Look where the the sermon ends, or rather gets interrupted, verse 43. To Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name and no sooner are those words uttered on his lips forgiveness in Jesus name the Holy Spirit falls on those listening and believing it's just an amazing moment see Peter had kind of been forced to walk around the barrier for a quick visit he, I think, he's just coming for a quick visit i think but the holy spirit <laughs> smashes through the barrier to move in permanently god moves into the hearts of these gentiles these unclean spiritually people god breaks through the biggest of all cultural divides he shows no partiality by race religion lifestyle fully willing to save fully willing to forgive all types all backgrounds So that's the story. That's what happened. What are the implications for us? We've got three of them. They're on the back of the handout if you want to see them. Three implications, A, B, and C. And the second and third implications are implications about our discrimination, how, how we look at others. But actually, the first one, and this is really important, the first one is appreciating that we are the beneficiaries of this moment. See, the vast majority of this particular church family are not from a Jewish background. And we need to appreciate what an extraordinary thing it is that God widened the gates of his kingdom far enough to reach us and he didn't have us come in as kind of second-class citizens you know the kind of the interns or the work experience people the people on probations making coffee until we prove our worth not all. not at all full inclusion the same Holy Spirit full forgiveness and acceptance it really is a marvelous thing when you stop to think about it um, I don't know if you've, you've thought to yourself this term. Why, are we, why, are we, why have we got such long passages in Acts? Why are we going so fast? I'll tell you why we were going so fast. I was desperate to get to Acts 12 before Easter, because we only enter the story at Acts 10. That's when this good news connects with us. Just have a look back at Jesus' plan for the last days, if we click onto the next slide. Where does Scotland fit on that map where would you put the flag? <laughs> well, right at the outer edge. And it would be same for all those people Mark was showing us pictures of. We're at the ends of the earth. I know we're a multinational cult- cult- congregation here, so feel free to substitute your flag in there. That's what I'm doing in my head. Um, And the, the key thing is, the geographical distance wasn't the biggest thing. I mean, it was a big deal. How, how physically would the message get out, given the struggles with transportation and things? Who's going who's gonna to be sacrificial enough to travel with this message? And we praise God for the Batlucks doing that. But actually, there's a much bigger deal. There's a huge cultural, spiritual, even theological barrier to overcome. We were the wrong side of this barrier. Back in chapter 7, before the gospel broke out from Jerusalem to Samaria, there was a big theological issue that needed dealing with. Can God work outside of the temple? And Stephen's speech told us he can. And now between the borders of Samaria, the borders of old Israel, and us, There's a huge theological barrier. Could Gentiles be clean enough for God? And wonderfully, God, by his gospel, by his Holy Spirit, breaks through the barrier. This may all sound like, okay, okay, it's all in the past, it's all quite theological, do we really need to remember this? Does it make any difference to my Christian walk with Jesus? Well, yes, it does. Ephesians, which we're studying in the evenings at the moment, Ephesians chapter 2 says this. To people like us, it says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You were the wrong side of that barrier. Remember that. And where did that leave us? Well, Ephesians says, Having no hope and without God in the world. Without Acts 10, that's where we'd be. No hope of eternal life. No hope of an intimate, peaceful relationship with our maker. But Ephesians goes on, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He's made both Jews and Gentiles one, He's broken down in his flesh this dividing wall of hostility. Jesus died to get rid of that barrier, so that we could know God as our Father. And so I think we do sometimes need to drop our sense of spiritual entitlement. You know, the kind of "I'm British, of course, of course, of course, I'm a Christian," or, or even "I've come from a Christian home, I've got great Christian heritage, I've always been fairly good." Drop the the spiritual entitlement and grab hold of spiritual wonder that that he would open the doors wide enough for us. How kind and gracious of the Lord Jesus when, when he walked towards that cross. That he had in mind not just his historic people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but he was thinking of us all the way over here, the UK, East Asia. Individuals all over the planet. The kindness of God the Father to send someone to speak the gospel to me, to send the Holy Spirit to make me clean. It's wonderful. So clear. He wants it to happen. He wants the doors open. That's the first implication. And I think the more we dwell on that implication actually the easier the second two ones will become you see as we think of ourselves as brought from far off inside from way off the map saved by grace sovereign grace in our lives well the more we realize that the more actually our discrimination and our our lack of confidence about other people who seem way off the more that will begin to drop see we weren't prime candidates No one is, really. Yet God steps in and saves all sorts of people. So here's our second implication. No one is too far away from the gospel for Jesus to overcome. A friend of mine was talking about flyering at a student mission, um, and he was handing them out. And then someone came along uh, of one of the groups I mentioned earlier. I won't specify, but one of these groups, he could tell that that was their background. And he said to me, he just held the flyer slightly closer because he thought the talk might really offend them. And afterwards, he was absolutely ashamed, shocked actually, not just ashamed, but shocked that that was true of his heart. We sometimes forget it's God who saves people, not their own likeliness, their likelihood. Um, Same with me at badminton club. The point is this. It doesn't actually matter if someone's currently interested in God. He is interested in them and has more than enough power to turn their hearts around. In lots of ways, Acts has been driving home recently. Over the last few weeks, Acts has been driving home this message that everyone, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Let's just click onto the next picture. We, we've seen in Jerusalem at first um, lots of disciples, crowds, hundreds, thousands, even some priests uh, were, were saved as the good news spreads around town. And then at Pentecost, Peter said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't think at the time he realized quite what that meant. But in recent weeks, God has been showing us it really means everyone. So Samaritans believe. And then the the kind of pace has slowed down to give us three portraits of people you might think of as exceptions. The gospel offered to everyone doesn't have one of those little asterisks. You know those kind of whatever it is um, free lifetime ice cream asterisk if your name is this if you turn up in dumfries at this time if you have a hamster like the, the kind of list of by which point no one's really welcome um that's not the gospel at all it really means everyone so who have we had we've had um, the, the ethiopian eunuch just a surprising outsider someone you wouldn't think of uh, more shocking than him we've had the the um determined enemy, the violent religious extremist, the man who was really prejudiced and was violent with it. It's a shocking thought this week, isn't it, when bullets have flown. You wouldn't think of Saul who tried to annihilate Christianity as one who could fit inside the everyone. And then this passage, the Gentiles, it really is everyone. That means if you are here and you're not yet a christian the offer is for you whatever your background whatever your lifestyle the offer is for you that's the second implication we must not rule people out prematurely god doesn't show partiality nor should i in my prayers or my looking for opportunities to take one step on in speaking about jesus actually the final implication um, comes from what might might be a question rising in your head that when we read through the passage, actually, isn't Cornelius not that far off? Isn't Cornelius the centurion actually a good person? Doesn't the text keep saying what a good person he is? I mean, yeah, he, he's a trained killer and he's an army commander for Rome, but actually he is surprisingly nice. Did you notice that? Verse 2, have a look, chapter 10, verse 2. We're told he's a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. He's prayerful, he's generous, he's serious, he's devout. Meet someone like that around here and we'd be impressed. By their moral, moral stand. Or chapter 10, verse 22, Cornelius is a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man. He's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So maybe the message of this passage is, actually, it doesn't matter what race and religion you're from, as long as you're basically a good person. As long as you're a moral pagan, or Buddhist, or Hindu, or Muslim, well, God will recognize your sincere hearts. Doesn't Peter almost say that in verse 34? Just look across. Truly I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Sounds a bit like that. Good people, well they're fine. Well notice what Peter does next after saying that. He preaches the gospel of Jesus to this good person. You see, to do what is right is to respond to the gospel message of Jesus. The message that Cornelius and his family needed forgiveness, needed to submit to Jesus as Lord. All through Acts, it's the same message with the same response. Jesus is Lord, a Lord who can save. Now repent and believe. He's king, so turn around. He's saviour, so trust in his name for forgiveness. And it's the same even for this really good non-Jewish person. No one is too good to hear the gospel. Everyone really does mean everyone. And so as we close, I just want to say a word on inclusivity. What does real, biblical, Christian inclusivity look like? We live in a culture at the moment where certain words take on a life of their own, an almost godlike status. Equality is one, tolerance is one, inclusivity is one. In the absence of the real personal God and his, his beautiful multi orbed character, where well, we're starting to grab onto these things as the kind of maybe this is the absolute. And inclusivity is one of those. And as Christians, when, when, it's, when that drum's being banged so hard by our culture, We need to think clearly, what does God mean by inclusivity? In what way is God for it? Well, as I've been saying, the offer of the gospel is absolutely inclusive. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I hope as as a church, as we look out and pray out for opportunities, we are wide open inclusive. But what is it that we indiscriminately offer to people? Well, it's the real gospel. The gospel, the message that Jesus is Lord and everyone has to turn and trust in him. Do what he says and trust him for forgiveness. Why am I saying that? Why do I need to kind of stress this? Well, because Christianity reaches people where they are whatever their background, race, religion, lifestyle, current cultural choices. But Christianity, the Lord Jesus, also changes people, every person. I think sometimes one of the reasons we're, we're tentative or, or scared or, or even discriminatory in who we offer the gospel to is because we're aware how much change would be necessary for this person or that person Not just in one of the categories I mentioned, in in lots of them actually. But here's the thing some Christians or churches will will start to edit bits of the gospel. For certain people, they'll say, well, maybe we'll cut out the need to repent in that area. It's just too personal, it's just too painful. Or in terms of there's only one god there's only one lord jesus they'll lean towards well maybe there are multiple routes to god maybe we can have some flexibility isn't that more inclusive and this passage and the bible as a whole says again and again and again absolutely not there's one gospel for everyone true inclusivity offers that same gospel to everyone Rather than starting to chop it around to make it more comfortable. Ironically, that's discrimination. Barring the way to the real Lord Jesus by suggesting Jesus isn't Lord. As I close, let me um, encourage us to reflect on just how good. The Lord Jesus has been to us. We were way off and he came and found us. And so to have real confidence that if he can find us and turn us around, well then there really is no type of person he couldn't reach, find, save. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your grace reaching us so far. Your grace reaching even us Gentiles, strangers to your promises to Israel. And we do pray that you would open our eyes and hearts to have real confidence in the power and sufficiency of the gospel of the Lord Jesus to reach any person we meet this week. We pray you would open up doors for us to take one step forward. And please would you make us as impartial, as indiscriminate as you are in spreading the gospel and loving those we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.